morning. I want to ask you ahead of time to uh, forgive my wife and I because we will be slipping out rather quickly after worship is done. We have a one o'clock meeting uh, that we have to make elsewhere, and um, it's church-related. It's not a football game or something, so uh, please, uh, please forgive us when we uh, do exactly that. Uh, open your Bibles again to the 24th chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 24, and um, come down to verse 13, Luke chapter 24 and verse 13, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 35, but first pray with me. Father, we come to your word. Now open our eyes and make us hear and help us to believe that which we are told. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke 24, verse 13, that very day, the day of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that very day, Two of them were going to a village near Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing them. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priest and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. They did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, slowed of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary? Sometime when you're reading through Luke's gospel, take note of how many times Luke uses the word necessary. He uses the word necessary in relationship to those things, uh, to, to what Jesus does to fulfill those things prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. And now he says to them, if I can find my place again, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. They urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. It's towards evening. The day is now spent. So we went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Peter, to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Wow, what a passage. It's one of my favorite in all of Scripture. You know, I can remember, I love these two guys walking to Emmaus, a village about seven miles apart from Jerusalem, so what? A two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour hike, something like that. I love these two guys. I can remember uh, when I was a student at, uh, at Covenant College, some of us guys would at times gather in the hall and begin to discuss deep theological issues, you know, intense discussions. And as I look back upon all of this, Uh, Not many of us had a clue what we were talking about, but the discussion was intense. Well, here are these two, and they're they're, they're walking to Emmaus. It's the third day since Jesus' death and burial. And as they walk, Cleopas and his unnamed companion, they're debating the significance and the, the meaning of all that has happened over the past few days. And then as they walk, and it seems that it's pretty soon after they have just left Jerusalem, as they walk, they're joined by a third traveler. Now, you know from reading the passage, you know it's Jesus. But Cleopas and his companion are kept from recognizing him. How? I don't know. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell me. Why? Well, perhaps as We'll see, it's because they still have much to learn before they'll be prepared to acknowledge just who Jesus really is and the historical fact and significance of his resurrection from the dead. I just love this passage. So the new companion, this this new companion whom they don't recognize, he joins them. And I'd love to hear the tone of voice in which Jesus said to them. That's one of my frustrations of scripture. There's no stage directions. You know, I'd like to know the, the tone of voice with which Jesus says to them, so what are you guys talking about? Right. I mean, can you imagine? So 
it's clear that they're sad. It's, it's clear the question takes them by surprise. And they assume their, their guest has just recently left Jerusalem. So Cleopas brusquely, I think, brusquely asks, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? To which, to which Jesus responds, what things? <laughs> to which Cleopas replies, things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm. Now, I want you to note something. Look at verses 19 through 21. I want you to notice that Cleopas and his companion, they talk about Jesus using the past tense. Do you notice that? The past tense. This Jesus of Nazareth was a mighty prophet indeed, and indeed and in word, he was a mighty prophet, was before God and all the people. Furthermore, it's Jesus of Nazareth. They don't talk about Jesus as if he were the Messiah. They don't talk about Jesus as being the Son of God. Now, maybe I'm asking too much of them, but clearly they're talking in the past tense. I mean, they sadly admit that they had hoped they had hoped that he would be the one who would redeem Israel. In verse 22, they then go on to tell their new traveling buddy how amazed they were when some of the women, a bunch of women, insisted Jesus' grave is empty and that two angels told him that he's risen from the dead. And, and but... They quickly add in verse 24, even some of our, our, our male companions, and everybody knows a male is much more trustworthy than a female, even some of our male companions went to the tomb and found it empty. But then look at what they add. Look at what they add. Tomb was empty. Women say so. Some of our guys say so. But they did not See him. Yeah, he, it appears the tomb is empty. But no one knows what happened to him or to his body. We had hoped. Clearly, they're disappointed in Jesus. He didn't do what they hoped. He didn't drive out the Romans and reestablish David's kingdom. He didn't live up to their expectations. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that way? Disappointed in Jesus because he didn't do what you prayerfully asked him to do? I certainly have. I've known times when Jesus didn't answer my prayers in keeping with my expressed desires. I found myself wondering, do you hear my prayers like, like, like the psalmist? Just take note when you read the psalms how many times the psalmist cries out, Lord, are you listening to me? Do you hear me? 
Why would he cry out like that? Because he's disappointed. He's prayed, and what he's prayed for doesn't seem to be happening. But then the psalmist stops, and he remembers. And he knows, and I know, and I'm confident that many of you know, that he hears and answers our prayers. But he does so with his greater wisdom, and he does so with steadfast love. He answers our prayers in keeping, listen to me, he answers our prayers in keeping with what should be, should be, the deepest desire of our hearts. And what should be the deepest desire of our heart? That in all things, he be glorified. In all things, he be glorified. I remember praying that my father at the age of 65 would not die. But he did. But of course, he didn't. The Lord healed daddy by taking him home. Why was daddy sick and dying? Because unless the Lord first returns in this fallen world, sickness and death comes to us all. But for those whose faith is in Jesus, when their bodies seek to function, don't die. Instead, they find themselves immediately in the presence of the Lord. So these two walking to Emmaus, they're sad because Jesus didn't do what they expected. In fact, I mean, he did exactly what they never expected. I mean, instead of defeating all their enemies, he meekly submitted to those enemies, to the authorities. He allowed himself to be crucified like a common criminal. What's that all about? Recognize the fact they don't yet get it. So, here's one of those passages of Scripture of which I am most envious to have been there and heard exactly what was said. Because in verses 25 and 26, having listened to all these two guys, or this guy and his, some people think it's his wife, these two individuals have said, Jesus now speaks up. And it's a little shocking. I mean, it's a little stunning to see what Jesus said. He rebukes them. He rebukes them. I mean, just like he rebuked Peter, you know, when Peter assured him that he and the others would never allow Jesus to be arrested and tortured and killed. Now Jesus rebukes these two for being, Jesus says, this is Jesus talking. He rebukes them for being foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then he asks them, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? 
Take note of Jesus' words. That the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. The, uh, these two walking to Emmaus, they didn't refer to Jesus as the Christ or the long-promised Messiah. But now, Jesus tells them that this one of whom you speak, which is, of course, Jesus, this one of whom you speak is the Christ. Now, you may find it interesting and maybe even a little startling to know that this is the first time in Luke's gospel that Jesus refers to himself as the Christ. Now, why would that be? Well, most likely, most likely, this is my opinion for whatever it's worth. This is not scripture. This is me speaking. Most likely, I think it's because Jesus knew that most first century Jews weren't looking for the Messiah promised in scripture. They were looking for a political savior. They were looking for a military leader. They were looking for the Messiah of their own imagination, one who would defeat Rome and restore David's kingdom. And knowing that all of those ideas was attached to the title, the Christ. It's not until now that Jesus uses that title in reference to himself. And it's this mistaken idea about the Messiah. It's because of this that you're told that the hope of these two walking to Emmaus, their hope lies shattered at their feet. They're thinking it's just cloudy. I mean, they are right to think the Christ would deliver them from their enemy. But they don't understand that he would come to rescue them from a far worse enemy than Rome. That he would come to conquer sin, death, the grave, the evil one. And so, in verse 27, as Jesus walks with them, he now graciously walks them through the Old Testament. How would you like that for your Sunday school lesson? Did Jesus stand before you and walk you through the Old Testament? Wow. Someday, I hope in heaven that we have the opportunity to ask Jesus, tell us what you told them. Tell us what you told them. He walks them through the Old Testament. He interprets for them all that it says about the Christ. Now, how long did it take? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's going to take two hours or more to reach Emmaus. So what does he tell them? Well, let me be so bold to suggest some of the things that I think Jesus might have told them. These are my suggestions. Someday I may be rebuked. But these are my suggestions. Perhaps he reminds them of the promise first given in the garden that a man will be born of woman who the evil one will attack. 
but who will in turn crush beneath his feet Satan's head. Perhaps he reminds them of the Lord's promise to Abraham that through Abraham will come one who will prove to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Perhaps he reminds them of the prophecy in Genesis 49.10 that from the tribe of Judah, the scepter, symbol of authority, the scepter will never depart, nor the ruler's staff until tribute comes to him, one from the tribe of Judah, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Perhaps he reminds them of Moses' promise in Deuteronomy 18.15 that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers, and it is to him you shall listen. Perhaps he reminds them of the Lord's covenant promise to give to David a son who will rule forever on David's throne and over David's kingdom. Perhaps I got two hours. I'm not taking two hours. So, I mean, perhaps he reminds them of various passages from Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14. Perhaps he says to them, don't you know what the prophet wrote? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, thank you. Isaiah 9, 6. His name His name also shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And perhaps he points them to Isaiah 53. And as Isaiah looks into the future and now speaks about the Lord's suffering servant, he tells you that he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Yet he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, for he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. And perhaps he reminded them of the minor prophet Micah, who tells you that, who speaks and says, to Bethlehem Ephrathah, who tells Bethlehem, from you shall come come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. I mean, that's only three minutes. Jesus has got two hours. Imagine what he did. Try to imagine what he said. And then, Having cited these Old Testament passages, perhaps part of the conversation was for Jesus to remind them, let let me remind you about Jesus. He was born of a virgin in the little village of Bethlehem, of the family of Abraham, of the tribe of Judah, of the house of David, and the suffering servant of whom Isaiah speaks. Well, Jesus endured all that. And perhaps he reminds them. He says to them, and you also remember what Isaiah said about that suffering servant who would die. Isaiah said he would again see the light 
of life. Justify, having justified many by bearing their sins. Don't forget that Isaiah spoke of the suffering servant dying. But he also spoke of the suffering servant coming back to life. Well, you know, I'm confident. I mean, obviously. Jesus told them far more than all of this and all of I mean they've got two hours well finally they reach the mass and Cleopas and his companion invite their new friend to spend the evening with them so Jesus joins them at the supper table and I think it's important for you to note that these two guys had to have been greatly impressed by the one who has been speaking to them for the past two hours because when they sit down to the table, they give to their guest the place of honor by asking him to begin the meal by breaking bread and praying. That's usually what the head of the family would do when a Jewish family would begin supper. He'd break the bread and pray. And now it's to Jesus in the home of these two individuals. He's the one breaking the bread and praying. You know what? I don't think they ever ate that meal. I'm not sure they got down a bite. Because in verses 30 and 31... You're told that Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So just how stunned would you be if one of your dinner guests suddenly disappeared? And you look at verse 32. Instead of being, we're not told they were afraid. What we're told is their eyes were opened. They can see. They recognize. They now know this was, that was Jesus. And in verse 32, they speak with deep emotion about how their hearts burn within them as Jesus talked to them on the road and, and opened to them the scriptures. I can't even imagine how my heart would burn if I were to hear Jesus give that Bible lesson. Burn with the fervency of joy. Well, in verses 33 and 35, they return to Jerusalem. They find the 11 and the others. But before they could tell their story, I mean, they can't even get a word out Before the others jump in, you ever been with people in conversation like that? You know, you you got something to tell, and you start to tell it, and three other people jump in with wayward comments. Well, they've got a story to tell, but at least they're not wayward comments, because the others jump in and say, the Lord is risen, and he has appeared. He has appeared to Simon. Finally, in verse 35, they they tell their story. 
of how they have also seen the risen Christ. Now, my friends, I've never seen Jesus. I haven't heard him firsthand give a Bible lesson. Look forward to it, but haven't yet. I assume that's probably true for most of you. But like me, God the Father and God the Son has sent to you God the Holy Spirit to enlighten for you the scriptures so that now by grace you now you now understand and you believe that, that Jesus is the, the man born of woman, born of the family of Abraham, born of the tribe of Judah, born of the house of David, that he is the suffering servant spoken of by Isaiah, that his death atones for your sins, that his resurrection validates his claim to be the conqueror of sin and death and the grave and that he is your Savior, Lord, and King, and that though once enemies of God, though once enemies of God, you are now declared by him to be saints. 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 And that he now lovingly and justly reigns over all the details of this world and, and your individual circumstances that he now equips and enables and empowers you to be his witnesses. And that one day, and maybe soon, Jesus will come again or you will go to be with him. And the day will come when you will live with him forever upon a newly recreated earth beneath a newly recreated heaven. So I ask you, are your eyes open? Can you see? By God's grace, I, may it be so. Your eyes are not yet opened if you find all that I'm talking about just to be a little weird and strange and just about unbelievable. I pray that perhaps even this day, your eyes may be open. You can walk out of darkness into the light of his eternal presence by exercising a willing and obedient faith in Jesus as your Savior, Lord, and King, as you confess your sins and repent of your rebellion against the one by whom and for whom you were made. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Wow, it is so magnificent. So I'm going to close. Now get ready. I'm going to close by asking you to join me, to join the women, to join Cleopas, to join Peter and all the others. I'm going to ask you to respond to this familiar shout. Shout. I know you're Presbyterians to this familiar shout of joyful praise. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.
How overwhelmed we are, oh Lord, by the reality of it all. How humbled and meek we feel to think that you lovingly chose to die in our place. And how grateful and joyful we are to know that you rose again from the dead, having conquered the evil one. Lord, make us live as if we are truly grateful. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.